Hiya Thrivers, welcome to Thriving Purposefully with me, Jocelyn. Today, we have the pleasure of having Cody Harm with us as we talk about neurodiversity, resilience, and self-acceptance. Cody is a BCBA co-owner of Curated Family Therapeutics. He has worked with individuals across all age groups, ranging from children to teens to adults with various diagnoses. Cody has been actively involved in applied behavior analysis, where he has focused significantly on implementing acceptance and commitment therapy. His expertise lies on providing exceptional support to neurodivergent teens and adults, parents of neurodivergent children, and teacher education. Hey, Cody. <laughs> hey, Justin. How are you? I'm doing great. How's your day? It's really good. I appreciate the um, the hola intro. My wife' uh, first language is Spanish, so I've been practicing because I don't want any secrets in my house when we have children. You know, we gotta, <laughs> and uh, I won't I won't use any Spanish right now because I won't embarrass me. But maybe when we're off camera, I'll I'll show you what I got. Yeah, I'd love that. Um, mm-hmm. I that would be amazing. I'm actually wearing my Latina Americana shirt. Cool. Very yeah. very cool. So. Amazing. We're here. Well, side discussion. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, ethnicity is your wife. Uh, uh, she is, well, she's from the border of Texas. So um, she's Huerita. So she's kind of like the Mexico City uh, projects, you know, very white, but is is sort of Mexican-American. Amazing. So. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, that's exciting. That's a new it is very exciting. <laughs> I didn't yeah, know yeah, that yeah. about you. No, it's okay. It's an interest. It's a it's a fun fact. I love love the culture, though. I love visiting her. The town she's from is is really fascinating and interesting, and it's kind of a I don't know. It's a it's a wild place. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I actually have never been to El Salvador, which is where my parents are from, but I've been wanting to go. And I gotta hear, go. Awesome. I hear it's the place to go now. Things have been changing. Yeah. yeah. Really? Yes. <laughs> There's been some not great history there, so I'm, I'm yeah. excited that it's yeah. feeling better. I love El Salvadorian food. A great place, oh, Los Angeles, so a great place to be for El Salvadorian culture. Absolutely, the pupusas. Have you tried the um, the Salvadorian breakfast? Um, honestly, my Salvadorian experience is interesting because I've had clients that were El Salvadorian, and, yeah. and I know you're not supposed to <laughs> wink, wink. Um, but when grandma comes to you and is like just aggressively like you must eat this yeah. and thank you, yeah, I um, never because I think that would be rude. I never mm-hmm. declined that. So I feel like I've had pretty much the most authentic and diverse mm-hmm. Salvadorian experience in terms of food. But I I couldn't tell you like specific okay. like what I ate yeah. other than pupusa in terms of breakfast. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll have to send you some recommendations of some uh, yeah. Salvadorian restaurants in LA. Yeah. Please, I'll be there. I'll be a big, I'm a big supporter. Awesome. All right, yeah. well, let's jump right in. Okay. I would love to hear um, about a book that you've read or a quote you've heard that resonated with you and what it means to you. Okay. I think the quote that I've sort of, I've always come across often is the is one by Einstein where he's talking about um, uh, if you judge a fish on its ability to climb a tree, then the fish will always feel like it's stupid. And um, as an educator, I, that's not my favorite word, um, but I I love the idea of it in terms of like, I think in my work and, and my life in general, and not only what I'm doing now, but what I've always been doing, it's always like building upon someone's strengths 
and sort of recognizing where they're at and within their strengths and their values and, and always building it upon that. And I always want to make sure that you're the best version of yourself. And I think step one is really recognizing what you're great at, um, what you value and, and sort of making that even stronger. And then anything else that you want to work on that that's going to benefit your life, we can address that too. The other thing that I really like about that quote is it's, it's like really a mindset thing, right? Like if the whole world has been telling you that you're X for so long, right? And you internalize that, like, is the world right? Are they true? Like who's making, sometimes the world is, and ideas and thoughts and perceptions are very, because we're human, it's very like imaginative and made up. And it's like, why can't you make up your own narrative about what you feel you are, what you are? And like, has the world ever created an opportunity for this fish to climb the tree? Like, is there any adaptations that it can do? Like what, what is, um, just, you know, just because it's seen that way or just because it's said that way doesn't make it factual. And um, if you can sort of rearrange your brain and the wiring to, to have that mindset, I think there's a lot more potential. Yes, absolutely. I love that. Um, it yeah. reminds me of truth is relative and everyone's truth. I think the way you described it with um, it's a mindset thing, right? Um, yeah. Where we are today is a is a reflection of all the decisions that we made um, and based on our mindset at that moment in time as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And confidence comes with just doing it and feeling successful more and more, but you got to try it, right? You got to go for it. You got to be the fish, I guess, in this analogy that tries to climb the tree. Absolutely. Uh, and it can, be, you can yeah. And it can yeah. be very uncomfortable at first too. And sure. I think it's a matter of being like having holding space for it to be uncomfortable as you continue to practice because eventually sure. it, it's going to be just another thing you do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, no, for sure. We're, we're, we're very alike and aligned on that. I, you know, yeah. but I'm, I'm big on like feeling comfortable and being okay and being aware that you may, f- you know, fall mm-hmm. off the tree 35 times and hit your head really hard, but that's mm-hmm. going to be okay. Cause the 36th time you, you may not hit it as hard or you may, you know, not hit it at all. So, yeah. or you may learn to put a pillow there or a trampoline mm-hmm. and learn how to jump. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love that quote. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. No, thanks for asking. Yeah. Um, so I have a series of questions and as I was like creating these questions, there's so much I wanted to pick your brain about. Um, sure. So let me jump right in. Can you start by telling us about your journey and how you became involved in advocating for neurodiversity and then later on uh, co-founding Curated Family Therapeutics? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, You know, sort of start at the very beginning. I'm third generation teacher. So three out of four parents were educators. Um, My mom was a teacher. I'm very close to my grandmother who was a teacher. Uh, but I actually used to go to, to summer school with my mom when she was teaching. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, sometimes I'd find myself in, in an empty room, like watching, you know, The Lion King on VHS. And then other times I would like help her pass out papers or like if it was appropriate, help some of the students with things that were, were um, you know, within my wheelhouse. Yes. And then um, I always wanted to be an educator. So when I got to college, I wanted something to go- look good in my resume. And I had heard about this camp where I'm from in Des Moines called Camp Sunnyside and it is a respite and summer camp and everybody has some sort of like physical or or cognitive diagnosis, a lot of overlap within the special education system. And I absolutely fell in love and I was like, okay, I don't want to be a teacher. I want to be like a teacher within a specific population. And I continued to work there for a really long time and then I moved to Los Angeles and I was like, yeah, I don't know if I want to be in a classroom, but I want to continue working with this population that's given me a lot. 
uh, most often, you know, autism was the diagnosis. Um, and then I found ABA, which I had known nothing about. And I think, you know, it's interesting sort of like sometimes within the internet and sometimes even within the neurodiverse community, there's, um, it's not always the most favorably looked, uh, therapy. And there's a lot of that that I understand. And I think there's a lot of that as practitioners and professionals, we should have listened to sooner and, and adapted much sooner. And, um, but at, at the same time, there's also a lot, uh, there's a lot much more louder and, and important voices that are being, ex, um, showcased right now. And so mm-hmm. I think that dialogue has been really helpful. Yeah. Anyway, long story short, for me, the ABA thing, it wasn't necessarily like the therapy that I was into. I was, it was always, you know, invested in who the person was. It was like, per, it was client over agency. It was sometimes client over parents, like their needs and their interests. But I think what ABA really allowed me to do is like between sort of doing the traditional aspect of it with like working one-on-one with the kid or like supervising or doing parent training to what I'm doing now, which is much more like acceptance and commitment therapy. Um, you know, I work with a lot more adults now. I'm working with adults that, um, you know, in terms of like their their lifestyle, like, you know, they have families, they're married. So I think what it really like the therapeutic avenue that I've taken has allowed me to see everything in, you know, just about everything and support with just about everything in one's life with that diagnosis, whether it's like the billion IEPs that I've been to, you know, helping a teenager learn how to like independently use the bathroom, helping someone make and sustain their first friendship, helping someone like through marriage with their partner and helping their partner understand their, their, uh, how autism impacts them, helping, you know, working with parents who are like, super open and like super celebratory of the diagnosis versus like I worked with parents and they didn't tell grandma and grandpa living in the same house that their grandchild had a diagnosis. They didn't know grandma and grandpa didn't know why I was there. Like that sort of, you know, maybe shame or yeah, repression, you know, and like not talking openly about it. So, you know, long story short is I've seen everything and, and I've given so much and I've gotten so much back that like this population of individuals isn't, you know, just, they're not really just clients. Like they're not my clients currently. They're not my family. Like I don't over overstep in that ethical boundary, but like some of my really early on when I was doing respite and working one-on-one with kids, like these are individuals and their family that were in my wedding, you know, like these are people that I, that I love. And so I think the advocacy kind of comes from the root of like being so invested for so long in so many different avenues and having so much understanding and seeing what it's like to be a parent or to be a 13 year old or to be a 35 year old, all, all within sort of like different impacts of the, the, the spectrum and, and the wheel that is autism. Absolutely. And, you know, again, just really like when you're in that deep and you're, you're getting so much out of it, it's, it's impossible not to like care about the individual and, and their needs and really understand where they're coming from. Yes. Yes. Oh, I love that so much. And interestingly enough, um, I also started out in respite. <laughs> it's a great place to be. Yeah. It's an awesome place to learn. And like, mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, if we talk about the the therapy aspect of it, there's mm-hmm. so many people that sort of enter in that field wanting to do good, but don't understand the culture or community or what yeah. to expect. And Absolutely. for me, it, it taught me everything. I had a lot of great mentors, but then I also had a lot of like, you know, people that would say like, hey, do this or don't do that. Or, mm-hmm. you know, when I was working with individuals who didn't communicate the same way that I was communicating, mm-hmm. you know, they, they had advocates who were telling me do this or don't do that. Or maybe they expressed mm-hmm. in, you know, in different ways that, but it was an awesome place for me to learn. And when I started my therapy practice, I was already so invested in the individual mm-hmm. that it allowed me to help them have 
success much faster because I, I don't know, like I, once I, I could learn the science on the fly, but I already knew sort of like the, the ethics and the appropriate yeah. in which to interact. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's amazing. Um, we, need, we need more um, agencies like yours. <laughs> yeah, I know I, that, um, like I said, the, the place that I first started with respite was just an incredible like community of like-minded people who, again, were there for the right reasons, but you know, as you know, like we're there because they were getting a lot out of the investment they were making. And yeah. that sort of connection is so powerful in terms of like understanding in terms of making real change and mm-hmm. um, in, in terms of like creating lifers in the business, you know, like yeah. there's a lot of burnout in our field working with mm-hmm. you know, various populations and whether you're an educator, whether you're a parent or whether you're, you know, a therapist like myself, there's, there's tons of burnouts and, and that, place for whatever fostered an environment where I saw friends that, that work there again, that are doing the same thing or in a, in adjacent industry. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Burnout is very prevalent. Um, something you said before that was connection. And I think it really just all starts with connection at yeah. any level and no matter what relationship, um, mm-hmm. the connection is, is what matters most. Yeah. Especially when we're looking to make change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, so I was actually talking to my husband a couple of days ago about uh, speaking with you and neurodiversity affirming um, came up and he was like, what does that even mean? So yeah. um, if any listeners out there um, don't know what that means, I'd love for you to be able to explain um, what affirming neurodiversity means and why it's an important aspect to your work. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it means everything. I think, again, we were talking about earlier, like it's important as clinicians that you're always listening to the population that you're serving. And because, you know, thank God that like neurodiverse voices in the last like five or so years have been so amplified and been so heard. And like, you know, you can make the argument like five or 10 years ago, the concept of neurodiversity was not within the, the like typical rhetoric, but like I work, I hang out with like my friends this weekend and like by default, they're using like, oh, you work with neurodiverse individuals, I heard, mm-hmm. you know, versus yeah. like whatever rhetoric they may have been using five or 10 years ago. Yeah. And like their understanding is so much heightened. And then someone like myself, obviously, like I practice it in a different way. I think for me, the first thing is just like listening to the client's experience and mm-hmm. really like catering it to what they need. Um, well, I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but I'm going to talk about like a values assessment. That's a really yeah. great examination of, it's a great reflection for the client to see like who they are and where they want to go. And at the mm-hmm. same time, it's an idea of me understanding who they are and where they want to go so I can help them like get on that path. But I think the other thing in terms of like neurodiverse-affirming uh, care is like just making sure that because I'm not neurodiverse myself, that I always ask the right questions and I'm always listening and and sort of like being sensitive to like their experience is so unusual. So when they, or not unusual, but so unique. So when they say that, like, I'm really hearing them and like validating, like that's a real experience. Like sometimes mm-hmm. my clients have sort of been heard throughout their life because from like neurotypical people or maybe like just society in general that like their experience is invalid or incorrect. Mm-hmm. And so I think hearing them then there. And then I think the two other things is like, I'm constantly researching and constantly engaged in with other with like neurodiverse communities and people and like 
um, you know, like talking to pe other people that are like neurodiverse therapists. Um, so I make sure that like I'm, I'm aware on the latest and greatest research and, and the language and the things we're doing. And then the final thing that I do too, is I'm always sort of questioning not my own neurodiversity, but just my sort of like neurotypical in quotes, maybe experience and like how, like I have to continue to like reframe my experience. And like, sometimes you take things for granted or like you, you, you've been assuming these things for so long and you really always have to like be in question about that. Cause there's not really like the idea of being neurotypical isn't really effective or appropriate for anybody, regardless if they have the diagnosis or not. Mm -hmm. So I'm always kind of, in that brain of like what's what's most appropriate what's most effective what's true what's what's sort of not yeah. true or not, not helpful and yeah i think that that continually being that reflective mindset as a mm -hmm. practitioner mm -hmm. is really helpful and, and all those things to me sort of like make up um neuroaffirming therapy absolutely well thank you that was very mm -hmm. informative um was with that being said, what are some common misconceptions that you come across when it comes to neurodiversity? Mm, that's a really good question. I think it's a hard one for me to ask. I, I get that a lot. Mm -hmm. I think like even just thinking about, again, kind of my personal life, like people are sent, like I've, I've made like indirect impact on people just sort of like doing what I do. Yes. And like, because there's sensitive people, they don't want to say anything insensitive, but obviously I'm open to answering any questions. And I, I like to advocate that way. But I, I what I'm, the point I'm trying to make is like, sometimes I'm so like in the zone or like in the community, like yeah. I don't, like no one's going to approach me with anything inappropriate okay. that at least I know or that respect me. Yeah. So it's a really challenging question for me to answer because I don't feel like I'm, I, I get a lot of like, um, authenticity or sometimes like genuine questions or experiences. Cause okay. again, I'm so hyper-focused in what I'm doing, but yeah. that being said, I, I think the, um, the biggest misconception in just general terms is that, um, as I continue, I, I kind of relearn and learn that like the, the difference and discrepancy between neurodiverse and neurotypical is the, the margin is very thin. The line is very thin. I don't want to ever discount someone that's neurodiverse, their experience, because it, it is sometimes more complicated or more intense or because of the way like society is set up, not necessarily conducive to their their needs. But, you know, everybody is human and they're all sort of looking for love and relationships and success, and feeling accomplished and doing what they love. I think all those things are, are really universal. So, um, again, the idea of like neurotypical, I don't know how appropriate or how realistic that is. Um, and, I, and I just think the lines are, are, are very blurred. Although, you know, one population just has a little bit more of an intense experience. In your experience, what are some of the most impactful and effective ways to raise awareness about neurodiversity and its importance? Um, I mean, for me, it's, it always comes down to, empowering people. I had a professor once who was like this incredible advocate uh, for the LBGT community. Like he did some really insane stuff and sort of protest like laying on train tracks and, you know, picketing and rallying and like, you know, like making out with his boyfriend in front of everybody in the sixties and you mm -hmm. know, getting rocks, threats and like just really, really intensive like displays of advocacy. And he told me that, no matter what he did 
all the things that he felt like he accomplished, the best thing he ever did as an advocate was be an educator. Okay. And I was like, oh, man, mind blown. Yeah. Like that makes sense. And so for me, I just think it's all about empowering people. And yeah. for me, I think the best way that I can do that is empowering them through, through therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing that I, you know, I think just sort of like helping parents maybe that I've worked with, with sort of like identifying their own sort of like prejudiced or shame about mm-hmm. neurodiversity, maybe about their kiddos yeah. or, you know, so like they don't create such like a glass ceiling, mm-hmm. um, you know, an example, or like if I would, when I used to work at schools, right. Like, and there was that friend who befriended, you know, or didn't have judgment for their friend that like needed to stim at the mm-hmm. lunch table, you know, and they yeah. were just like, okay, stim away. I'm ready when you're ready, you know, like whatever you need. And um, you know, teaching people just how to like unmask and be authentic and be themselves is, is so helpful, but, yes. um, I think just empowering them in any way you can, whether you're in a social relationship, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a parent, um, any, any way you can do that, just allowing someone to be the best version of themselves, I think is, is really awesome. Yes. Their most unique and authentic self. Yes, exactly. And celebrate that. Yes. Celebrate it every day, every chance you get. Mm -hmm. What are some specific strategies um, that curated family therapeutics employs to help neurodivergent individuals build resilience and self-acceptance? Excellent question. Um, I think the first thing and the most sort of like the first thing that we do with every client during our first session or our first consultation is we have them do the values assessment, which I know. Love you're that. aware of. Yes. And as you know, like, again, I talked about this a little bit earlier, but it, it, it really helps the client reflect for themselves on like who they are and, and who they want to be. Yes. Um, and then for me, again, it's really important because it lets me know who they are and who they want to be. And, and my goal is always not to change who you are, mm-hmm. but just to create the best version of who you want to be yes. and help you get there. And so within these values, once you just sort of determine where you want to go or where you have been going that you like, um, I help you create like action plans or goals. And, and these are really just individualized steps to help you start living intentionally, kind of understanding it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, but within these goals, eventually you like, you are what you do. You know, you are, you're defined by the actions you take. And you said it earlier, but like eventually, you know, this action may be hard, but in three months you're going to look like, oh, wow. I'm not the person, um, I'm not doing the things that I want to be. I am that person because of the things on a daily yeah, basis. You've embodied the person yes. you've become. Yes, three months later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I love um, I love that yeah. you start off with gaining clarity because yes. it's so important. Um, and that, and yeah. in, in the work I do too, I also start with a values assessment. Um, yeah. And there's so much clarity that comes out of it. Um, because we we make decisions on a subconscious level and a conscious level throughout the day, hundreds, mm-hmm. maybe even thousands of times a day. But if we have the clarity and we put yep. intentionality towards those decisions, that's when our life starts to look different. Um, that's For when, sure. just like you said, three months down the road, six months down the road, we'll look back and we'll see like, hey, wait a minute. I am mm-hmm. not the person that I was at the beginning of 2023 um, and yeah. I'm living a life that is so important and so valuable. And what yeah. I love is that it's unique to each person. Absolutely. And I think the other thing that comes 
along with that, what we're doing too is like I do a lot of role play mm. in session. I yeah. do like accountability check-ins too, where like, hey, remember you were going to do that goal this weekend? It's <laughs> it's the Friday before the Saturday. You're going to go do whatever we talked about, right? Yeah. Like, don't forget about these things, like how you feeling, yeah. that kind of stuff. And, you know, I'm, I think listening is is a really important listening and hearing the person is, is really, really important too. So you're mm-hmm. setting them up for a level of success where, you know, we can build momentum to more challenging things, but really meeting yeah. them where they're at. Absolutely. What would the role play look like? Um, just depends on what, uh, what we're doing. So yeah. a lot of what I do, especially with a lot of my clients that have gotten the diagnosis later, not for everybody, but Often I encourage them to sort of ingratiate themselves within uh, the autistic community, like meetup groups on Zoom or meetup groups mm-hmm. in person um, with other like adults that got a later diagnosis or adults yes. that have had diagnosis forever. But just so because there's things that I can't like no matter how much knowledge, and how much experience that I've had with the autistic community, like I can't I'm never going to be able to relate on a certain level because I'm I just don't that's not how my brain works. So I always for a lot of people, I encourage them to do that. And so role play might be like, oh, okay, I'll go. But like, I, I'm not going to unmute myself on Zoom. Like I'm too nervous to, to what to say. So we role play just like, you know, the conversations you can have in your head ahead of time, like giving yourself, um, you know, boost bumping yourself up and, and, and feeling comfortable. And then, you know, we talk about, okay, you've been to this, this group before. Like, what are some of the things people talk about? What are some things you might want to share? Like what's an appropriate time to jump in? And maybe if you don't jump in, if you don't say anything, like what are some ways that, what are the conversations you're going to have in your head so you can take something away and like make this experience work for you? Um, that kind of thing. So again, we just role play and act it out. And um, that's just one example. There's yeah. tons of stuff. To do, but I always, I always find like, that's, that's more of like the, the ABA route too. you know, like I have the advantage of sometimes where I can work with these people in person and like, there's nothing better than to be in the exact environment in the exact scenario and like work through it. Right. It's one thing to talk about it. Another thing to like do it with someone there to give you that feedback in, in real time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That sounds so fun. And like, you're doing the work you love to do. It's like a blast. (laughs) Yeah. 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 No, it is real cool. I've been in some, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's always fun. I enjoy work every day. I will tell you that. Yeah, that's the way to do it. <laughs> really In your perspective, what does thriving look like for neurodivergent individuals? And how does curated family therapeutics facilitate an environment where they can reach their full potential? You're full of good questions. Um, <laughs> we do the values assessment. The other thing that we do is we take a either weekly or daily mental health score. Okay. So one to 10, one being like, I'm ready to give up on life. Mm -hmm. 10 being like, I'm living my best life. Like it's like bachelorette party or something like that, whatever the best day in your life is. And for me, um, and as humans and what we know about acceptance and commitment therapy is like, I'm never expecting 10 out of 10 every day or every week. Right. Right. But what I think in terms of what you do, what thriving to me means is that you're anywhere from six out of 10, regardless of like the variables that life has thrown at you. Yeah. Example being like, you know, my kid was sick. I got a flat tire and, um, you know, my partner's out of town. So like I'm doing everything myself. And it's like, 
all those variables, all that stuff that inevitably is probably going to happen in your life, Mm -hmm. you're still like at a seven, even though like, obviously that's not what you wanted to happen that day. Like you didn't want to hit those hurdles, but you still, based on the techniques we've worked on, based on the consistent strategies that you're implementing, you still feel like a seven out of 10 at the end of the day. Um, And that's really great. Seven is a strong number. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's not about being at a 10 every day, (laughs) Um, which I think is a common misconception about thriving Mm -hmm. in general is like, oh, well, she's always using that word thriving. You know, she's always happy, but it's not. It's about being at a seven, being at a six. Exactly. It's always going up and down and that's okay. It's a matter of the listening to you yourself your experience and what mm-hmm. you need in that moment giving it to yourself and knowing that you tried your best and there were hurdles yeah. just like you said and you still gave yeah. it your best yeah 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 and each part of the wave is important i think for for us in particular or for what i do in particular it's just that if you're getting twos twos and four two threes and fours more often than not then i need to adjust something or we need to adjust something working together as client and therapist because it's, it's not, it's not working. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I love to see is, and uh, you know, this is like the graph go from like two to three to four to like yes. consistently at sevens, eights and nines, you know? Yes. Yeah. It reminds yeah. me of, well, hearing you say that reminded me of, you know, it's time to pivot in those situations where we might be at the twos and threes consistently long term, yeah. um, time uh-huh. to pivot. And then it reminded me of, did you ever watch friends? Of course. There's this episode with the couch. And yeah, yeah, yelling yeah, at each other, pivot, pivot. <laughs> it reminds me of that. And um, yeah. when we can kind of humor, bring in a little bit of humor into it. And when I first started living uh, based on my values, I would literally mm. say pivot out loud and think of that friend's yeah. scene and it would be funny. Yeah. And I think the more we can bring in some humor into what can be challenging, right? Change isn't always easy. Um, it mm-hmm. makes it just a little bit, just a tad bit more enjoyable. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I would agree. And I think the pivot thing too is the one thing that I always urge clients is like, if you want to pivot, you can, mm-hmm. but also don't pivot to pivot right away. Yeah. Again, you know what I mean? Don't like pivot, pivot, pivot. Let's pivot, give it two or give it a few weeks. Yeah. And then if we feel like, eh, let's pivot again. And, and within those two weeks, when you pivot, yeah. you really got to like try be in it, it to win it. Yeah. You're all right. Like if it's an honest try, Absolutely. not like, well, I'm going to pivot knowing in two weeks, I'm just going to try something else. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Give it your all. Give it your best. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. All right. Well, what advice would you give to parents or caregivers of neurodivergent individuals on supporting their unique needs and fostering a positive environment? Um, ooh, that's a really good question that I answer a lot. Um, I think the first thing that I do with parents is I want to know their values in specific. I don't want to know their values for their kid. I don't want to know their values as a kid or as a parent. I want to know if you're Jocelyn, the parent, I want to know Jocelyn's values. And I think the thing is, is like the, the metaphor that I use is like the rising tide lifts all boats. So if you're living the best version of yourself, it's going to impact your kiddos in a very positive way. Um, and so, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but I think within that, like, obviously with the parents that I work with addressing 
wherever they're at and sort of their understanding of neurodiversity in general. And then their, the, the way that impacts their kiddos is like, I'm always encouraging them go out, do things in the community, make friends with other parents who have neurodivergent children. Like mm-hmm. don't isolate yourself, make this experience work for you. And in order to do that, you got to learn and you got to like figure it out and you got to can't be afraid to be vulnerable. You can't be afraid to try to climb the tree and fall 10 times. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the things. Again, it's it's not the world isn't necessarily set up appropriately for your kiddo, and then, and as a parent, it's not set up for you either in that mm-hmm. circumstance. Like you got to just keep going. And then the one thing that I will always tell parents is advocate, advocate, advocate. Yes. It is okay and very healthy to be ruthless in IEPs with doctors, oh, yeah. with clinicians, with myself. You don't mm-hmm. like something that we're talking about, or you're like, no, I don't want to do that. That's fine. Yeah, but you got to tell me. Yes, and. I come back with it is and you're still uncomfortable, then tell me again. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that's the the big way. And then, and particularly for, you know, the parents that I work with and their, their kiddos are communicating in in a different way, or maybe like aren't using verbal language. Like, Mm -hmm. so the world is really not set up for that. And so you have to be an advocate with your voice and and what's, what's their voice and what do they want? um, And how do you translate that? Yeah. It reminds me of a quote by Brene Brown. Um, She says, vulnerability is not weakness. It's our greatest measure of courage. And I think that that's so relatable in that context. I love it. Well, as we wrap up, we'd love to give you the opportunity to share more about the services and offerings provided by Curated Family Therapeutics. How can the Thrivers listening learn more about your agency, access your resources, and get involved in supporting your mission to affirm neurodiversity? Um, well, we have an Instagram at curatedfamilytherapeutics.com. Uh, we have a website, www.curatedfamilytherapeutics.com. And in my next life, I'm going to pick an easier and shorter business <laughs> name. Um, and then, um, you know, like we do trainings. We do advocacy trainings. I do like trainings with schools. I do public speaking. I work with a few businesses that aren't necessarily related to neurodiversity, but um, – just supporting in sort of more of like the ACT thing. Okay. Uh, but primarily what I'm doing again is working with um, anybody who's like curious about their own neurodiversity or is neurodivergent, um, working with the parents of kiddos that are they're neurodivergent. And then um, we're contracted with schools where we're really taking mm-hmm. the sort of acceptance and commitment therapy hour and implementing it within the classroom for teachers because that's where my heart's at still and and we all know when teachers thrive their students thrive and and that's the goal yeah and then within that we're doing a lot of sort of like advocacy and um you know curriculum adaption and social skills training so that the kiddos that i care about those that are uh that, that are neurodiverse are getting the most opportunities possible within the school setting so Absolutely. Well, that all sounds so exciting. I'll make sure to get your website and your Instagram in the show notes below so that anyone that's interested knows exactly where to check you out. Um, It was a pleasure talking with you today, Cody. Yeah, always. Thanks so much for listening to the Thriving Purposefully podcast. If you loved today's episode, 
Do me a favor and share a screenshot of this episode on Instagram story and tag me or leave a five-star review for my podcast on Spotify or iTunes. Your support means a lot and helps share the thriving movement. Thanks again for hanging out with me, Thrivers. Go out there and make today your best day yet.